You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org. Man, this time of year is just gets crazy with all that we're trying to do and get together and just trying to remember back, even from the minds of kids, of what Christmas is all about and what it looks like. And, and I just want for a moment here, as we begin to unpack the scriptures, for you to just take a deep breath, that over the next few moments as we begin to look at God's word, that maybe this is a time where you slow down, where you just lay aside the anxieties and the worries and the pressures that you feel when it comes to this time of year, and that for the next Oh, 30 minutes that you are just able to slow down and just enjoy our time in God's word as he begins to speak to you. Let's pray as we jump into God's word today. God, we are so grateful uh, that you came. We know sometimes we mess the story up or we add tradition to it. And yet your word is so good to remind us that you were the initiator, that we had a problem that you came to solve, that you were the answer to our anxiety. Thank you, God, for coming as our Prince of Peace, in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen. So the manger scene, you can just imagine uh, all that's gone on. I mean, Mary and Joseph had to travel, and they were not near family. They were going back to a hometown, but not to his home people. And so Mary and Joseph are in uh, the back, uh, kind of underside of a early Jewish house, would have this underside of the house that would be the place where the animals would be kept. You kind of bring them in, and there would be a not a wood manger, but a stone manger, and Jesus is born. But to even get there, to travel from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, it was 100 miles. And for most people, that was 100 miles you would travel on foot. In fact, so often people think, oh, was, Mary went on a donkey, and we see little depictions of that. But the scriptures that tell the Christmas story actually never tell how they got there. We have no idea. Did they use an animal? Did she ride something? Or did she, at nine plus months pregnant, did she just walk a hundred miles? At that time that she gave birth, there was no midwife. There was no nurse. The scriptures are clear that Mary wrapped her own baby in swaddling clothes and placed him in the manger. And so often we think about this moment when God becomes flesh, he comes to earth, and this is the first time for Mary and Joseph that they're together now having a family, but they've not even consummated their marriage until after Jesus is born, because Jesus is the God-man, born of God and born of the woman, and the man and woman had not consummated yet their marriage. So this is the first moment that they're getting to be like, we're all here, we're family, we're kind of get through this transition, and then we can move forward with our lives. And you can imagine that just even traveling there and being away from family makes people think a little bit differently about Christmas, because perhaps a change in your family situation, a change in your routines, a change in who can be here or who can't be here, might be an opportunity for God to draw close to you and let you know that Christmas is more than family. Christmas is far more than family. We've kind of transitioned it to be family and who's here or who's not here, but sometimes changes in our status, changes in our family distract that. And I I just read this week from a friend who wrote this week about his Christmas experience. He said this, I have been there the first Christmas after my parents got divorced. 
and I was sitting in my room alone eating Del Taco, and all I could think was, this is what Christmas is now. I was miserable. The reality is that while people will paint a fake smile on for others, the pain is there and they will think exactly what I did. This is my new normal, and I hate it. And we begin to think that if we have family there or a lack of family there, we become anxious about it. Sometimes we become anxious because we go to be with family, and that brings its own set of anxieties. Other times we're anxious because the people we want to be there aren't there, or they can't be there, or they've passed on. And I want you to know that Christmas has less to do about family and more to do with hospitality. Hospitality is who you welcome. That God initiated his coming to earth. That God initiated, I'm going to create a situation where you're going to welcome the birth of the Christ child. You're going to show hospitality as God in heaven comes down to earth and becomes flesh. That you and I, we find that family doesn't mean direct family relations, but it means who are you and I going to open hospitality to? Who are you and I going to come together with and celebrate the common ground that Jesus Christ is born Sometimes our family, that's not common ground. And so you don't celebrate the birth of Jesus with other family members in that same way because maybe they do or don't believe in Jesus. But hospitality and Christmas is more about who you open up your time and your energy, who you gather with to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, those who celebrate Jesus Christ and in the advent of waiting for God to come, that they were waiting for Mary to have this baby, that we've been waiting for years for the Messiah to be born, to to help be the rescue of Israel and the hope of salvation for the world, that as they've been waiting for that, as you've been waiting for that, we often forget that Christmas is just about as much awaiting the return of our Lord Jesus. Not just his first coming, when he was born to Mary and placed in a manger, but his second coming when he would come back. And you and I don't know the date or the time of that. You don't know if it would happen in your lifetime. Let me ask you this. If you received a guarantee from the Lord that Jesus' second coming was going to happen during your lifetime, for how many of you would that change how you live your life? Come on, just be honest. All over the room, lots of us, right? And for some of you, it might be great news. That is so great. Like, wow, I'm so privileged in the scope of humanity to be alive when Jesus is going to come back. But for some of you, that would raise a lot of anxiety. Like, it would change how you would think. It would change what you would do. Well, can can I shop for this thing? I don't know how much time I have. And it might raise some anxieties in your life. Well, Mary and Joseph had their share of anxieties. But one of the things they celebrated right after the birth of Jesus, just within a month, a little bit more, is that they got to go together to church. It happened this way, about eight days after Jesus was born, he was circumcised, but Mary couldn't go for that kind of experience if it happened at the temple. And so she couldn't go for that because according to Old Testament law, a woman who gave birth to a firstborn male had to wait 33 days beyond the circumcision to go back to the temple because of ceremonial cleansing. She had to be clean in that way. By the way, it's interesting that if she had a firstborn girl, she had to wait double that. She had to wait 66 days. 
I don't get it. It's just the Old Testament law, what was uh, lined up there. And that's what they would have been practicing in that day and age. And so they would have gone through it. But here it is, this moment that eight days plus 33 days after the birth of Jesus, the whole family now gets to go to the temple. The temple shows hospitality to them. This is their first church going as a family. And they get to celebrate that together. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 2. It's a moment of reconciliation, and here's why you need this sermon today. You need this sermon today because God's word is going to argue for a calm, common sense approach to the problems of anxiety. And you're going to find out what they found out, and that is that peace is a person. Peace is a person. In Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Let me pause right there. I just want to let you know that here before Pentecost, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, here the Holy Spirit is having conversation with this man, Simeon. God speaks. God spoke in the Old Testament. He speaks in the in-between intertestamental period. He speaks in the New Testament. God's Holy Spirit speaks. But before the Holy Spirit would come and indwell a person permanently, there would be moments like this. And so the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write something down. When it comes to anxiety, more preparing leads to less repairing. More preparing leads to less repairing. Here's Simeon, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And you might read that and go, I have no idea what that means. What is the consolation of Israel? I have no clue what that means. But here Israel was an occupied nation. They were waiting for this Messiah to come to make all things right, that sin has entered the world, and sin just messes up everything. In fact, it brought with it death. And we're waiting for a Messiah who will repair all the evils of society, a Messiah who will bring peace between man and God, a a Messiah who will bring the consolation of Israel, Israel back to being the kind of nation, the people of God, that they so longed for. The word there is periclesis. It's where we might get the word paraclete, the comforter, the encouragement, the solace. So here's Simeon, living all his years, and he's basically saying, listen, I... I'm waiting for Israel to have encouragement. I'm waiting for Israel to be made complete. I'm waiting for the comfort of Israel. I am waiting for the solace. And I don't know about you, but some of us at this time of year, wouldn't that be nice to have the comforter to your anxiety, the encouragement to your despair, the solace to your pain? And so he's waiting. The only one who could bring the hope of consolation to Israel was the consoler. Peace is a person. And it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die until the consoler, the peace, the prince of peace, that he would see this young baby with his own eyes. And I'm going to tell you, wouldn't this revelation from God bring your hope of the Messiah to a fever pitch? If you knew that that was going to happen in your lifetime, again, wouldn't all of your awareness go way up? And wouldn't you, again, just wonder, like, well, when is when's this going to happen? And I don't know. I mean, it seems like Simeon's very content here. It seems like he's a very peaceful person. But I have a feeling that if Simeon was born in our lifetime and in our culture, that he 
this good news for him would have triggered a lot of anxiety. If you received news that you were going to win the lottery in your lifetime, it was guaranteed, but you weren't told when just in your lifetime, it might be great news, but it also might raise a lot of anxiety in your life. You'd probably like, well, I could spend forward, but I don't know how much because I don't know when this is all going to happen, right? And you'd be worried about stuff and you'd be wondering. And so it's, it might be good news, but it might also raise a lot of anxiety. And I can't help but wonder if Simeon were born today, if that would not be his experience. I mean, could you imagine him? Well, God, how long am I going to live? When's this going to happen? I mean, I'm so anxious about the future. I, it's almost as if my life is on hold. Like everything's got to be put to just waiting until this moment happens. And then I can know. I can have like this release and this assurance. What can I do about anxiety when I'm waiting? And the key to managing anxiety is intentionality. Because again, if you become really anxious and you have all this trouble, then what's going to happen is you've got to do a lot of repair. When anxiety takes its toll in your life, you're going to have to do a lot of repair. So preparing is essential. You've got to be intentional. And on your outline, let me give you some ways to do that. Number two, to manage anxiety, develop skills and routines. How often have we been triggered and become more anxious when we've not been sleeping much? when we've been going and burning the candle at both ends, when we've not eaten well, when we haven't exercised, when we haven't done a lot of the things that we need to do, all of a sudden anxiety magnifies. And you need to learn your triggers. Does this make me jump to conclusions? Am I exaggerating? Am I personalizing a situation that maybe does or doesn't have anything to do with me? One of the things, if you're going to understand anxiety in your life and how to manage it, you've got to understand what your triggers are. Am I jumping to those conclusions? Am I exaggerating or personalizing a situation? Am I involving myself where I maybe don't need to be involved? And are my fears causing my triggers to be more anxious in my life? Second, name your emotions. Name them. Because people will be like, I'm so anxious. But that doesn't tell you much. You have to say, what am, are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you nervous? Are you scared? What exactly am I feeling? What exactly would Simeon been feeling? Waiting for Jesus. And if then any anxiety came along, what would he have felt? He'd have to name it, to be specific with it. Third, breathe to fight off hyperventilating, which occurs during anxiety attacks. And this is just normal deep breathing. It's not breathing really fast or, or breathing too shallow. It's just normal. Sometimes when anxiety strikes, we constrict everything in us and we begin to breathe really rapidly and it can lead to further complications. This year, my family and I, right at the beginning of sabbatical, we took a family vacation. We went to the big island of Hawaii. And while we were on the big island, we were going to go on top of Mauna Kea, which is a 13,700 foot mountain that looks out over the stars, which is a great place. They have all these observatories there. In fact, the entire island of the Big Island of Hawaii has a lot of light restrictions in their code because there's so many observatories up there that want to look at the heavens, they don't want any indirect light. And it's a beautiful location. So we were going to go up there, go all the way up to the top of the mountain. We we're going to take pictures of the stars. I would love to do that. And so uh, we drive up there, and we spent, uh, I spent a decade in Colorado. My boys were born in Colorado. We understand altitude. But we're going from sea level, and we had been really busy and really active that day, and uh, we had probably not eaten the best that day. But we're going up the mountain, 
and we get to the visitor center, which is about 10,000 feet. And they make you wait at the visitor center before they let you go all the way up to the top of the mountain because people will have altitude sickness. And they'll know within about 30 minutes if you're getting a really bad headache or other things that you might have altitude sickness. So we got up there, and we're just at the little gift shop at the visitor center, and we're just waiting our time till we can drive up the other, you know, uh, 13,700 feet total. And as we're waiting there, uh, one of my boys just said, uh, Dad, my, my fingers are, t- I'm having trouble breathing, and my fingers are tingling, and my face is going a little numb. And I'm like, okay, let's wait a few minutes. Just, I want you to just breathe normal and just look around and give it some time, and we'll see if you know, anything is, is changing and if you just the catch up, your body catches up to the altitude. Well, a couple of minutes later, it's not getting better. So I'm like, okay, I'm from Colorado. I get altitude sickness. Lit. The only way to fix altitude sickness is to get down. You got to get to lower elevation because you can get cerebral edema. Your brain can swell. You can, people can die from altitude sickness like when they're climbing Mount Everest. So we get my son and we pack him in the car and we're just saying breathe just like breathe and because he just feels like he's not getting enough air so he's breathing very rapidly and we get in the rental car and he starts to go into a seizure and so I am flying down the mountain I am driving this rental car on a curvy road as fast as I can down the mountain and we we're at the point where we got to call 911 so we're on 911 my wife's on 911 we are driving down the mountain by the way this is the beginning of sabbatical very restful me as a pastor. We're driving down the mountain as fast as we can. We're trying to get down. So what they do is they send an ambulance from the military base, which is on the saddle road between two very large mountains on the big island of Hawaii. So they send this ambulance up, and they're like, listen, just when you hit the road, when you get to the bottom, you hit the road, turn right, turn your flashers on, your hazards on, and when you see us, flash your high beams. And so we are flying. We hit the road. We turn right. I am gunning it. Here comes the ambulance up the other way. I'm flashing at them. We whip in behind them. And right there, they take my son out of the car. They check him real quick. They get him in the ambulance. My wife gets in the ambulance with him. And then we start driving down the mountain, just trying to get lower as fast as we can. And so we're driving down. But the ambulance needs to be near the military base. So what they do is they call another ambulance. This is great for your health insurance, by the way. They call another ambulance from the hospital in Hilo to come up, and they meet you halfway, and they just transfer him. Then they're like, we go back up in case something happens again on the mountain, which is wise, and then we transport all the way down to the hospital, and we get there, and we walk through all the different tests, and we're, of course, as parents, you're just anxious. You're so worried, like, this is vacation, this thing is supposed to be fun, and so what happened, like, did I do something wrong? Like, you're so worried about your, your child and don't know, you'll, you'll, like, I'll do whatever I can to try to help. Well, it ends up that he'd been feeling really anxious, and we hadn't, again, eaten that well that day, and there were some other things going on where uh, my son was internalizing some stuff, and based on all that, he'd become really anxious, and he was hyperventilating, and hyperventilating can make you go into a seizure. So we were so relieved that nothing else was wrong, and it began a process for us as a family to learn more about the issue of anxiety and how to manage it. So some of these things I'm sharing with you today have been a part of the learning process for us as a family. But we live in an anxious culture, don't we? We live in a time when it's very difficult, and so I want to give you some of these things just to help you learn some things that have been helpful to us. Next, you might want to turn off social media notifications and alerts. Just turn them off. Some of you just need to quit social media outright. You don't need to keep getting interrupted and, and you being overexposed all the time, but turn those notifications off. Some of you might need to see a Christian counselor as needed. 
and then find what you're good at and focus your strengths there instead of compensating for all your weaknesses. So many of us in this room, you're trying to just get better at what you're bad at. And you're trying to force your kids to get so much better at what they're not great at. And sometimes what we need to do is help our sons and daughters and ourselves focus on where we are strong and invest our energy there. Instead of us worrying about what we're not good at and when will we ever get better at it. I want to point out that here's Simeon. He's this elderly, we assume, man, and he is still serving the Lord. He's going about his business. He's honoring God. He's spending time at the temple. He's doing, he's not sitting at home just watching his TV. He is basically doing things that are part of his strengths. And so Mary and Joseph show up, and they have the baby Jesus with them. And we find out in Luke 2, 27, it says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So right away, he takes this baby and he proclaims these amazing things. He basically says, God, now that I've seen this baby, now God, you may welcome me with shalom, with peace. You may show hospitality to me. It's the brand of hospitality. The shalom would be the kind of hospitality that didn't just mean be peaceful with other people. It means to show hospitality, to welcome, to bring together, to reconcile. And what is he saying? He's saying, God, now that my eyes have seen this baby, now you may welcome me into your presence with peace. Peace is a person. So what do we do? We inhale grace. See, when you and I inhale anxiety and fear and stress, we start to breathe more shallow. We start to constrict. But what happens is in this moment you see, here's Simeon, and whether he has anxiety or not, we find out that Simeon in this moment is inhaling the grace and the goodness of God and the favor that he's experiencing, the peace of God. So when you and I inhale grace, which is God's unmerited favor, who are we that God would choose any of us to do anything or to be part of his forever family? When we inhale grace as the atmosphere of his kingdom, we realize and know the security of belonging to him. That he's going to show us hospitality, that he's going to welcome us into his forever family, his home. Peace is born. I love the song that Matt Lingo has written and that we've been singing this year, Peace is Born. In fact, I love this phrase again in the bridge. It says, oh, the love that came to save us, came to mend a broken world. Oh, the mercy that he gave us, so much more than we deserve. Peace in the promise of a Savior. Peace far beyond my understanding. Peace in his wonder everlasting, Jesus Our peace, peace is born. We find that peace is a person. It's not a destination. 
It's not somewhere we hope to get to. It's in a person. So let me tell you, Jesus could have saved people from foreign oppressors, from natural disasters, from national decline, pestilence, or pathologies. He could have saved us from any of those things. Instead, he said, my mission is to highlight the one flaw that all people have, and that's sin. So God intentionally dealt with the one flaw that we each possess, sin. Of all the things that the Messiah, the reconciler, the consoler could have done, is he chose to deal with a thing that affects everybody. Not just the unhealthy who were sick. Not just the poor who didn't have enough. Not just the problems of the world and its economies at the time. But he chose to deal with the problem that is every person's problem, sin. So Jesus died to save us from our sins and save us from the penalty of death, which ultimately is the destruction that happens after death. We die because of sin. Sin entered the world and brought with it death. And so we turn in this mortal shell, this rental. At the end of our days, we turn that in. But we live on, and God says, if you believe in what I did for you on the cross, your sins are forgiven. They are washed away. You are made as white as Christmas snow. You have peace between a person and, his, and your creator. And you are welcomed into his forever family in a place the Bible calls heaven. It's a beautiful thing. I want to mention, though, that by doing so, he ultimately rescues us. Even if we die and turn in our body, that God ultimately rescues us from death. He ultimately rescues us from disease and disaster and decline and decay. That he is the one who gives life. He's the reconciler. Sin was at the root of the corruption of God's creation, so his rescue plan targeted sin. And once that problem was dealt with, then his new creation could ripple out through the cosmos. Peace is a person because only the reconciler, only the one who brings solace, only the consoler of Israel, the one who will be a light to all people and all nations has been born. In fact, it's beautiful because Simeon is so grateful for salvation. He, he says, I'm so thankful, God, to be a part of your plan. And then he noticed that he says, that he quotes the passage that shows that salvation is possible for all people, not just Jewish people. Not just the chosen people, the Jewish people, but that through this one born to the Jewish people, he would be a blessing, a light to the Gentiles, to people like you and me, people of every nation and tribe and language and tongue and color and race, that salvation is available through one person, Jesus Christ. In fact, it's a beautiful thing. His statement reflects the very words of the angels to the shepherds who said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels are intentional about what they said. They could have said, and in Israel, peace on those on whom his favor rests. But they didn't. They said on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests, God's plan has always been to rescue people of every tribe and language and tongue and nation and background and be the one who brings peace. In fact, we want to experience that peace. 
I was thinking this week, I want to work together with Jesus. Like, not work against him, but work with him as he replaces my childhood leftovers of angst or insecurity, um, thinking of fear and loneliness or anxiety and self-doubt. And I want Jesus, I want to trust him more deeply. I want to rely on his goodness and his love that would be following me all the days of my life, always with me. That his love is the hospitality, it's the shalom, it's the peace extended to people. And God is saying, will you rest in my peace? Will you experience my peace? I want to walk with Jesus as he invites me into his peace. But so often we run off and we get all anxious about what we get anxious about. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. And I think there's a lot of us in this room who maybe for you this year, you're like, I totally, I believe it. I believe Jesus is the way. I believe Jesus is the truth. I believe he's true. But maybe this year, you've begun to look to other things to bring life to your life. So you're like, I didn't deny God. Like, I believe he's true. I believe he's the way. But I'm going to look for other things to bring life. Like, we forgot that Jesus is the life. And so maybe this year you began to reach to non-life-giving things to bring life to your life, and instead it has brought anxiety and stress and frustration, and you found that it doesn't satisfy, that it doesn't fill the void, that life is found in the peace of God, that peace is a person. See, in your rebellion, it's so easy to become filled with anxiety that's not life-giving. When you and I pursue the things that are not life, we bring death and anxiety and fear and insecurity to our emotions and to our circumstances. Maybe this year for you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to reflect and say, do I believe Jesus is the way? Do I believe he's the truth? And am I actively believing and experiencing that he is the life to my life? When we replace that and we put expectations on other people or family at Christmas or what you're going to get or materialism or any other thing, we find out that non-life-giving things cannot bring life to your life. So number four, anxiety reveals that the source of peace is Jesus Christ because peace is a person. Luke 2, 33 the child's father and mother marveled at what was said by Simeon about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Referencing that the day is coming when Mary the one who gave birth to the Christ child will see her son lifted up on a cross and he will die and he will be buried in the grave and that the one who came to bring life will lose his life but he will conquer death and come back to life and she will see that the sword that pierces her soul becomes the sword that is the word of God that's living and active and risen from the dead. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life but it doesn't come without pain. That pain is part of the process to understanding exactly who God really is. 
when it comes to Jesus Christ, he's either going to bring peace or angst to your soul. Why? Because the thoughts of the heart will be revealed. What you think and what you believe about Jesus is going to reveal the thoughts of your heart. Is your source of peace going to be Jesus Christ, or will it be the partial answers to the world's problems? See, our world is really impatient with the issue of sin. We dismiss it. Why? Because if you admit that there's sin, then you have to reconcile the reality of Jesus Christ. But if you dismiss sin, then you reject the sinfulness of humankind, you'll end up pronouncing the, the death of Jesus as irrelevant or, or just, you know, absurd. And so what do you do? If you dismiss that and you reject sin, then you're going to reach for medicine or technology or economic policy and education to cure yourself and achieve cosmic justice. But it's not going to work. You're going to stagger under the weight of a fallen world. You're going to wrestle with your own flaws and your capacity to do great evil. You're not going to know what to do with that. And you will grieve and become incensed at the injustices of society. So you have no real answer to death. And without Jesus Christ, it all leads to despair. It's going to be meaningless or frustrating. So John... One of the disciples writes this in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 18. He said, whoever believes in him, referencing Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does what is evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God sees everything. He sees your and my frightening capacity to do evil. God sees everything that we reach for that is not life-giving. God sees everything. And you would stand here and say, well, where is their hope? But you don't realize that in the previous two verses, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came into the world to save the world through him. God sent him into the world to save the world through him. And then he says, if you try to deny that you have sin, then you'll hate the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So Simeon was right. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So let me ask, if God is using today to reveal the thoughts of your heart in your relation to what you do or don't believe about Jesus, how many of you today would say, I long for a consoler. I long for those who will bring comfort, the one who will bring peace to my anxiety, the one who will bring peace between me and God, the one who could take my sins and wash them as white as snow. That only happens through Jesus Christ. The only one who can bring hope to you is the consolation and bring consolation to your soul is the consoler. Peace is a person with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. For a moment, I want you to just consider, maybe today you're realizing for the first time that it's 
It's the day to say yes to Jesus. It's the day for you to say yes to a relationship with God, the one who came to bring peace, the one who's willing to wash you as white as snow. He's willing to cancel out all you've done, whether you like that idea or not. He's the one who came to wash you and me and make us clean. But it only happens when we put faith, we give faith to what Jesus actually did on the cross. And if that's you today, you're like, I want to know and have a relationship with Jesus, then you pray a prayer like this right after me. You can just pray it silently in your heart. Listen, God can reveal the hearts of people. He knows what you think in your heart. So even silently in your chair, you can pray this. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just pray this. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life, make me a new creation. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. That you were buried, that you rose to new life because you were God. Would you forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as Christmas snow? Make me spiritually alive from the inside out because today I give you me. You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.